there's a much bigger impact upstream in the in the e-commerce industry when a consumer hits a website um, that will have many many more friction points than even downstream of just being able to move a parcel from point A to point B. Brands, I think, even through the overall pandemic that we have, had exposed an overall situation where you relied on two sources of revenue, right? One was international e-commerce and one was domestic e-commerce. There's volatility in the market when it comes from a currency perspective and the fluctuation of currency, right? So by rounding those prices up, it also stabilizes the currency so that customers don't see a different price every time they hit the shop. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about cross-border commerce and what you should know from a pricing and a transactional perspective. It's a great episode. You do not want to miss it. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kunay Campbell, and the 2X podcast or 2X e-commerce podcast, our SaaS product. We give them a very tight remit to help you just give you ideas to grow your brand and improve commerce growth metrics such as conversions, average order value view I had with Matthew Merillis, um, who tuned in from, um, from North America. I think it was in New York. Um, don't hold me to it. And here's the CEO North America of a fintech 
cross-border e-commerce platform called Global E. Um, I quizzed him on on his backstory first, and then we swiftly moved into like um, international commerce, just things you need or cross-border commerce, things you need to know. The CEO of Global E, which is this fintech, global fintech company headquartered in, I believe, Tel Aviv um, with with um, the European headquarters in, in London and um, the North American, um, obviously, um, the, the North American headquarters in, in New York from, from where he, he dialed in. And we, we essentially talked about those fundamentals you need to um, and, and it's quite interesting because he gave it. He, he gave examples from a D to C standpoint to a more enterprise standpoint, um, because they they cover all um, you know those the extremities in 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 that case. So if you want to, if you're toying around cross border commerce, or you're trying to get, you know, a grasp of elements of cross border commerce. From a financial standpoint, in terms of like the payment processing, localization, um, experience, you know. Um, second is your pricing strategy. Third is how you process, effectively process international orders, which is what Global E does um, from a taxation standpoint, um, from a duty standpoint. And from a price and localizing, or are you going to be dispatching internationally? And what partners would you use? Would you be using a DHL, for instance, um, which is very international? Um, so, so those are the things you you really want to you know sort of think about. And then fi- the final piece of of um, of, of an international cross border strategy is you know when things go wrong, what happens? So what what is the customer service you know um, you know layer to it all? And then you just plug everything in. And, and deliver that experience, but but this one is very specific to um, to, to the fintech, you know, the payment processing to towards um, you know um, the awareness that okay, this is an international order. What um, what pricing shows? So they cover the pricing strategy, and you know what the payment you know strategy is is like. Um, you know the payment localized payment processes um, or processors. Sorry. And, and, and then just moving that ahead. So listen to this if you want to get a grasp of international or cross-border commerce. Really, really good conversation I had with, with Matthew. He had a lot to share. So I will leave you and I'll catch you on the other side. Cheers. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chobbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey Matthew, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. It's amazing having you on, on, on the podcast. Very good. Happy to be here. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Um, I've been hearing a lot or coming across, you know, a lot of um, just news articles, content, you know, updates on Global E, 
Well, I don't even want to talk about Global E as yet. You're the CEO of North America. You're CEO of North America for Global E, your global business. Um, I want to sort of get your sort of background, your 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 backstory. What what how do you want to just introduce yourself, and and then we'll take it from there, please. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, without a doubt, I you know oversee the North America region here at, at Global E. Uh, based out of our New York City HQ and, and just taking you a bit back, right? I think when you look at the overall kind of background and upbringing coming, uh, coming directly at a university, for me, it was, it was directly injected into international logistics, right? And, and really got brought up with an operational background, just understanding how to break down the downstream impacts of brands trying to reach an international customer from a delivery perspective, right? How do I get a parcel from point A to point B? And what are the different complexities that fall within making that successful. Uh, and I think as, you know, I progressed that career, which started over 15 years ago, um, you know, in, in specifically that region um, of the business, you started to see brands really voice, you know, an opportunity for how do we help drive more upstream impacts on the customer before we even reach the point of having to ship that package out, right? And I think that's where, for me, I'd say the bell went off and, and really drove me into this industry, which is there's a much bigger impact upstream in the, in the e-commerce industry when a consumer hits a website mm. um, that will have many, many more friction points than even downstream of just being able to move a parcel from point A to point B. So it's 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 more like a domino, you know. You you a customer takes an action front end, and it sets a domino effect down to payments, logistics, fulfillment, all of that stuff. Your initial background was that um, I think it was DHL, um, so it was quite operational. FedEx. Let's speak to to DHL and, and FedEx. You know, DHL German company, European company, FedEx more more American. Sure. What was the the, the the difference, you know, what, what was what the uniqueness in, in each of these companies and um, what does the back end, what should we be aware of when engaging these companies before we get into Global E? Yeah, I think when you look at the background, I did. I, I began my career with DHL Express, obviously, then transitioned over to FedEx. So, you know, I think when you look at the two and combined, I mean, obviously, both companies are powerhouses in what they do. Um, I think when I look at, you know, the majority of the initial onset of my career, which is where I'll begin, is DHL was a very international focused business, right? I think when you look at their offering from an express perspective, it was really purely focused on bringing international expertise to brands and helping them, you know, reach international markets that maybe they weren't able to tap into or just streamline that overall experience to make sure that it's, it's one and the same for, you know, a domestic shopper. So I think when you look at that overall approach, the international focus and upbringing that I received right out of the gate of, of my education into my career, I think was one that was invaluable. Um, I think the ability, you know, no differently than at FedEx when, you know, obviously I, I jumped on board there and it helped, you know, spearhead that overall cross-border segment of, of their division and operation. I think it's something that, you know, it, it, it ties from a skill set perspective that all brands are looking to break down, which is how can I seamlessly get a parcel from point A to point B with as little friction as possible? Mm -hmm. um, and they all had that same goal, right? And I think those goals quickly drove into how can I help further upstream, right? What are the next steps that we can take outside of just the downstream impacts, which is a key component, right? If you can't get that parcel from point A to point B, the experience breaks down completely and it won't be successful. But in order to get to that point, there's a lot that needed to get done. Yeah, efficiently also. And, and then you, you, you've been in globally for, for close to five years now. Um, 
what what attracted you to to their proposition to 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 want to you know um transcend from in 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 your words downstream upstream yep i think from my view um i really wanted to and and what got me excited was was the e-commerce and the software and the technology approach of what the market was was bringing right and i think you know what attracted me initially to globally um, was one of the most dominant players in, you know, at the time when I joined the European market, right? So one of the most complex markets to be able to conquer because in Europe, much different than North America, brands did not solely rely on their home market, right? As in the U.S., it's always been the focus for many, many merchants to conquer and dominate what is what is a massive opportunity. Whereas when you look at what Globally did, you know, we set up shop with our first market out of the UK and then we spread our wings all throughout Europe. And as you can imagine, if we did not help brands sell cross border, which is something that they heavily relied on, then we were not providing the value to be able to, you know, get to the level of detail that these brands needed. So I think what attracted me to the overall business was number one, the technology, the sophistication of the technology and the abilities that really we were able to bring from a European first mindset into North America to help brands think second and third level to break break down mm. international barriers versus, you know, obviously just looking at an international market as a single market globally. What we do is essentially break down that international strategy market mm. by market to make sure that experience sinks that customer the second they hit the site so the experience is optimal so so, so how many markets does global e cover at, at this point in time yeah so currently we're breaking International down markets. yeah we're breaking down and servicing just over 200 uh, destinations and territories worldwide right so essentially if you were to think about wherever we can enter an international market where these brands are looking to sell a product we are there uh, there are some embargoed countries and such that obviously are limited for trade um, that we do manage, which is also super important as the world is constantly changing from markets being able to be serviced versus not. Um, so from a regulatory perspective, not only just the reach that we provide, but the overall management of the reach that we provide is is key. Interesting. So um, for an e-commerce director or a founder listening to this now, um, what I'm thinking about growth um, through international or cross-border commerce. What fundamental first principle thinking um, should they be aware of um, towards rolling something successful and you know just glitch-free? That that nothing is ever glitch-free, to be honest. But 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 something you know successful. You know, um, something without any major issues, something, you know, predictable where, where the issues are, you know, small and manageable, right? Yeah. And I think right now, I mean, speaking to any business owner, to any business founder, any, you know, executive on the e-commerce side, I think specifically in North America, what you find often is brands have solved for domestic, right? We understand it needs to be two, two day shipping. We understand most cases it needs to be free. And now brands, I think even through the overall pandemic that we have had exposed an overall situation where you relied on two sources of revenue, right? One was international e-commerce and one was domestic e-commerce. And I think those, you know, times really opened up eyes to be able to understand where we all in that arena and how to help break down that overall barrier to trade, right? So I think for my advice to brands is, you know, typically what they're thinking is where do I even begin? 
What markets do I need to register in? How do I need to remit things like VAT? How do I make sure compliance is at the forefront of what I do? How do I then delight the customer in every aspect of the experience internationally? Um, and that takes a heavy lift as a business to be able to do for a market that, you know, really falls after that of the U.S., where we see a lot of focus domestically. Right. So my advice is always start with the fundamentals. Right. Whenever we partner with any one of our brand partners, it's let's set up your overall domestic U.S. site and sit the globally platform on to break down barriers and make sure that every dollar you spend on a new customer internationally coming to your site mm -hmm. that they don't leave, that they convert, right? So the basics is brands have international traffic right now. I think when you look at the overall international traffic statistics, it's one in that you often see a very strong following for these mm -hmm. brands in the international arena where almost 30% of their online traffic is coming from international. Whereas you typically see no more than maybe five or 10% of those clients converting which is where we come into play, right? So the initial advice I always have is start with the foundation. Let's start converting those customers that are finding their way to your site and are buying through an experience for international that's not optimal. Once we master that, which is where Globally plays a crucial role with each one of our brands, then we look at what are the growth phases? How do I start driving an overall customer in my site now that I have an optimal offering? Right? And then you get into things downstream such as translations and where does it make sense and bigger investments that I think will round off that overall experience. But overall, that's typically the, the life cycle and the journey that we take our brands through to make sure that they're successful. Super interesting. From a resource standpoint, um, in terms of like people, um, for, for brands you've come across with that are, you know, um, tippy-toeing, say, from the UK to North America or vice versa, um, yeah. what, what key members of, of, of staff would you need to effectively sort of roll out or would you sort of, you know, extend the, um, the duties or responsibilities of existing staff members to, 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 to rolling out? I'm not saying a really huge rollout, but to rolling out, um, you know, an international or cross-border, you know, e-commerce, you know, strategy. Yeah, and I think uh, it's a good question because when you look at it right now, and I'll give you a first kind of the landscape of some of the, the types of brands, right? I think when you look at some of the, the brands that we focus, you know, and, and really see a strong following from, you do see many, many global brands within the portfolio on a global basis, not just in North America and Europe and APAC uh, and all throughout the world, really helping them cross borders. But when you look at brands like Adidas, when you look at brands like Disney, Ralph Lauren, Marc Jacobs, a lot of these sophisticated global brands where they have presence everywhere, down to just very nimble, digitally native brands such as Figs and Easy Gap and Allo Yoga and Kith and Skims and Skin by Kim. These are the types of brands, and we see many different paths, right, of approaches from brands that are central in market to brands that are obviously digital only or digital first and continuing to knock down those barriers, right? But when I look at the overall strategy of each of the brands, it's how can I be successful within the strategy that I'm laying out internationally? And how do I make sure that we're following a path to success to be able to convert that international shopper, right? And I think when you look at the both, they play very different strategies, right? I think whether it be from a, a dynamic and a fixed pricing strategy, which is one in that, hey, I have product in every single market that I serve on a global basis. Right? I need to make sure that I adhere to and match to MSRP, and I've got a wholesale strategy, I've got a store strategy, I've got 
a digital strategy? How do I make sure that they're all aligned is a, is a key pricing discussion that we have often with brands to help support and break down those barriers, right? And then when I look at the audiences right now to, to directly answer your question, brands typically don't have more than three individuals, four individuals looking after the international e-commerce business, even at the largest scale, even at the smallest scale. Right. And I think when you look at our overall involvement with brands, as you can imagine, it touches everyone from e-commerce. It touches everyone within digital and tech because there's an integration that needs to happen. There's a customer service element, right? Because obviously customers internationally now need to be serviced, right? And need to be serviced in a localized way to be able to support and give the brands the tools to be able to be successful, right? Downstream all the way through operations and then settling from an overall financial perspective. Because with brands, we operate a business to business to consumer transaction, which essentially means brands are selling us the goods locally, right? In their home market. So it's a domestic transaction for them. And then what we're doing is handling all of the complexities of international, right? From a currency, from an FX, from a hedging, from a overall conversion back into the customer's home, the merchant's home currency, so that they're seeing goods in USD no differently than they would a domestic transaction. Mm. So mm. that also includes finance uh, as I round my, round my story. Yeah. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. 
That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. Yeah, so, so globally, to me, you're, you're a fintech company, very, very tailored to to, 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 to solving cross-border commerce, you know, um, complexities for e-commerce businesses. However, there, there are other... So the, 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 the other things, you know, um, founders should be aware of, like the, the website, for instance, should it be localized? Should it be translated? Um, you know, should we have a, a, a domain name? Should we get a localized domain name um, or an extension to our, our core domain name? Um, should we, um, what about warehousing? Where do we put our goods? The, 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 there's a lot. And then obviously the fulfillment, you know, um, partners, um, as you alluded to, sure. like DHL or Fed- FedEx. Besides all that I've mentioned, are there any other nuances? I, I guess there's also customer service, you know, um, for for international. Just creating that awareness initially with the customer services team, and then you know, obviously creating a special unit for international. You know, um, are, are there any other key, you know? Um, Things to be aware of, you know, um, when you when you you know roll out or about to roll out a, a you know a global or cross border commerce strategy. Yeah, there is. I think when you look at it right now, I think in you know historically, right, and we've we've often seen brands initially think when when going international, I need to think about positioning inventory in every single market. I need to think about setting up a domain in every single market. And I think when you start to see more of the modern approach to international, the digital first strategy, there is more of an approach right now in the market of how do I set up a single instance of a website, yet leverage the international capabilities to break down the experience of what my customer will see without having to do all that, right? Because we've seen more brands time and time again be strategic in the overall rollout from a digital perspective and from an inventory perspective, meaning the days of having to put inventory next to every single customer in every single market and run a digital storefront with a local team in every country worldwide is is behind us, in my opinion. I do think when you look at brands, they're looking to, to think a lot more a lot smarter and a lot more efficiently than, you know, what we've seen in the past, which is maybe I have, you know, two to three dominant URLs. Maybe I have a single URL, right? Yet leverage top selling inventory and position it within the market, but not really have to replicate the catalog, which is an extremely challenging thing to do for brands, Mm. right? Because typically your home market holds the full catalog. Right. But when you look at a market like Europe, there may be a top selling, you know, call it pool of your inventory right now that you do want to place in market mm-hmm. because you want to leverage duty and advantages that you could have by having the mark, you know, the overall product closer to customer. So I think that these strategies have far in become where brands started to consolidate their digital footprint. They started to consolidate their overall regional supply chain footprint where they position inventory. And they're thinking a lot smarter and a lot more efficiently than I think I've seen over many of the years. Absolutely. So so it's really that simplicity and getting the, the fundamentals right. Right. Okay. So with with your proposition, um, a global E, um, you, you talk, do you want to break down what a global e experience looks like, you know, um, for, 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 for the merchants you, you work with? I mean, um, just looking at some of the merchants, um, we're, we're talking, um, I saw some, some really, really interesting, um, you know, brand names on, on your, um, on your website. Um, you, you had, um, 
yeah. Mark Jacobs, Etam Sigma Sports. Um, yeah. So, so what 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 is yeah Mark Jacobs, Hugo Boss, Skims, sure. Vibel Barefoot, yeah. you know Reformation. Um, so so it's 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 a mix of and even Marks and Spencer. So it's a mix of enterprise and you know as you said agile, nimble D two C. You know, um, BMOT still, they're, they're still big, you know, substantial, you know, D2C companies. When they use Global E, um, what problems do, do they solve in the cross-border commerce, um, you know, conundrum or, or puzzle? Yep. No, and I think that it's a good question. I think each one of the brands that we do operate have similar similar challenges, right? And I think when you look at the overall experience right now, it starts with the second that an international customer hits your website, right? We are geo IP detecting, meaning we are detecting where that customer is coming in from so that we can serve him with a local experience, right? Whether it be from the UK, whether it be from France or Germany or Hong Kong or Singapore or Australia, I mean, you name it there is an experience that customer in that country expects to receive. And we are first detecting that customer so that we know where they're coming in from, right? And then what we do is we greet them. We greet them to say, hey, in a market like Europe, we know it's what we would consider to be a VAT inclusive experience, meaning shop in your local currency, you know, see prices locally within Europe, see lo- you know, prices locally within pounds. We have local settlement of currency. We have the ability to calculate and guarantee duty and taxes so that it's an all-inclusive VAT experience that is no different than you shopping, shopping locally. So we really do greet the customer with a very, you know, very welcoming, you know, greeting that says, hey, welcome to the site. You can continue the journey so that we don't see things like bounce rate, right? Once you have a customer hit the site, we want them to continue the journey and that's the goal, right? And then the second they see all prices fully converted, right? I should not ever be showing a customer in the UK US dollars, right? Most importantly, and and we see this, we see this with many brands. They have a site in the US, right? A US instance of their website, fully served up in US dollars, fully served up in in the US experience and, and international customers that doesn't that doesn't resonate with, mm. right? So local currency and pricing strategy is key. Um, and then with some of the sophisticated brands that you even mentioned, you know, earlier, making sure that that pricing strategy, right, from a brand perspective is very seamless to, hey, if I want to go buy locally in a Mark Jacobs store, it should be no different from a fixed pricing strategy on the website to make sure that obviously I'm seeing an omni experience, which is one in the same, right? So pricing, conversion, settlement within currency is key to one of the barriers we face and, and we see with brands often. Um, being able to communicate. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, um, you know, that there's some some apps that are do the currency conversion, but it's it's very superficial in the sense that um, you know they they just in real time do the conversion for you, and sometimes it's really odd where they do a conversion and it's not even rounded up. So let's say it's it's you know a um, hundred dollars or thereabouts, and then it it comes in at eighty four pounds dot 46 pence and you're like oh, it just stops girl so, so it's people that t- from a pricing standpoint people are typically used to you know well-rounded up you know pricing um you know pricing in, in general so so how do you solve you know that that problem you know obviously you're factoring in um tax local tax um you're letting them know that um you know everything they're not going to have to try and clear it from customs it's 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 done you know, it's, it's one and done. 
Um, so, so sure. yeah, do, do you mind just elaborating a bit on, on that bit of, um, you know, the cross-border, you know, commerce experience? Yeah, we, I mean, from a pricing perspective, you, you hit it spot on. There's two, you know, very, very dominant methods that brands will follow uh, and take to make sure that your point, um, the number that we're showing to that customer at that point of, of experience and shopping is is localized, right? And, and I use a few different examples I can give you, but, you know, essentially you take the USD conversion, we call it dynamic pricing, right? Which means we're taking the USD conversion, we're then converting that based off of a daily spot rate, right? And then essentially what we do is we have a very smart rounding engine that essentially rounds those prices for each one of our merchants, which does a few different things, right? It showcases a number to that customer in that international market that makes sense, right? Rounding prices to the nearest 100 yen in Japan makes sense, right? You'd never round it to the, to the dot, whatever. It just it wouldn't resonate and it would drive abandonment. You know, into a market like Canada, maybe rounding to the nearest, you know, dot ninety five or mm. the nearest whole dollar, right? Where when you look at in Canada, if you just spit out a currency conversion, it may round to the nearest, you know, penny, which the penny was abolished in Canada. So <laughs> those are the types you know of things that we do from a smart rounding perspective that will resonate market by market when we're converting a USD price point into the local currency. Um, so not only does it show a number that's going to convert to your international shopper. It does two other things, right? There's volatility in the market when it comes from a currency perspective and the fluctuation of currency, right? So by rounding those prices up, it also stabilizes the currency so that customers don't see a different price every time they hit the shop, right? Because that with those converters that you mentioned, those point solutions, that is often a challenge that brands end up with, which is customers are, are, are seeing a different price for the same product every time they hit the site. And that's not something that customers will obviously from an experience perspective respond well to. Um, and then I think finally, you know, the ability to have this rounding engine also builds in a slight margin. Right. For the overall brands who want to be able to offer free shipping or, you know, be able to build in, you know, these different strategies where we all know shipping is not free. Right. So what are the ways from a pricing perspective we can help the brands not only have the right growth strategy, but also have the right profitability strategy? Because you can grow top line as much as you want, but the brands need to make sure that this business internationally is profitable, which is one of the things that we play a significant role in. Do, do you do you roll this out on a on, on a catalog segment um, basis or would you go into detail as to one-to-one? -one? I'm just thinking about like, you know, an extensive catalog that has, you know, lost leaders or, um, you know, products that are, you know, just more expensive to ship essentially. Um, and, and, you know, the strategy for that to pretty lightweight, you know, inventory or SKUs, but should differ, you know, um, so, so how, you know, how, sure. how yeah. Yeah. And I think when you look at it right now, so we went through the dynamic setup today. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at the dynamic setup, that's one path that brands typically follow. I think when you look at the second path, you look at fixed pricing, right? Which is another very key when you think about some of the brands, right? We talked about Adidas, we talked about Disney, we talked about, you know, Ralph Lauren, et cetera. You've got brands right now that have an in-market experience, even matching to MSRP or RRP, right? Um, to the skew level, right? I mean, they, the, some of these brands are super sophisticated where in markets where they have full price strategy and availability to set the new pricing where they just don't sell products today, we go to the dynamic path, right? Which works. And it's a, giving them the ability to obviously set the pricing strategy in a market where they have no presence. 
And when brands have presence, which many of them do and the brands that you mentioned, what you end up seeing is they need to be able to match to MSRP. They need to be able to match to RRP and they need to be able to have a fixed price strategy down to the SKU level, which is a hybrid of both strategies together on a global basis. So as I get to the way that we manage it right now, we manage it on a market by market basis. And we literally look at the retained margin that these brands have and we measure it. I mean, closer than any KPI that, you know, our teams would manage on behalf of our brands because they view us as an extension of their e-commerce team. They really do. They look at us as the experts in international. They, they, they expect us to not only help with the pricing strategy like we talked about, but all of the regulatory, the duty and tax strategies, the world changing strategies that impact their business. We need to make sure that they, they're not only growing, but they're staying profitable. And that's a strategy that we have market by market and we continue to feed this information back to the brands, which is, which is key to the success. Super, super interesting. Um, and then from a fulfillment standpoint, um, I'm speaking to brands um, that um, are, are essentially kicking off or um, they're, they're still in the early days of, of their um, cross-border commerce. Um, you know, so they partner up with, with a company like DHL. And, and what then happens with Global E? How does Global E so communicate just glo- from a payment standpoint? Is, is that it with Global E or does Global E so f- flow with or go with the... Um, with, with that package, with that order end-to-end, where, where do you start and where do you, do, you, do you end? Yeah, and let's jump, I mean, from the, the pricing strategy, right? So we've talked everything from the second the customer hits the site to the experience on-site from a pricing strategy perspective that you mm-hmm. see. Even on the local messaging on the front end, the PDP, the PLP that reinforces the proposition. And then to your point, yes, they jump into checkout, right? And then as you can imagine, payment methods are key. Right. Today, we unlocked for our brands over 150 different payment methods to be able to make sure whatever that shopper has in his or her wallet, we have the ability to convert them at that point and that we don't lose them. Right. Because it's the most crucial point. So not only from a checkout perspective, do you want to make sure that you have the most internationally capable checkout, right, Mm -hmm. where there's a city we show where there's a state, we show state. Where there's a province, we show province. Where there, you know, is a need to capture an overall tax zip code versus some like um, postcode, for instance. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. These nuances we continue to iterate, and we have since 2013 when we launched the business to make sure that internationally we're staying ahead of where that overall checkout experience needs to be in order to convert a shopper, right? So one of the key pieces you mentioned is payments. Yes, whether you have a, a payment method that we we curate, right? Which is typically anywhere between four and six payment methods per market. We don't want to overwhelm them with, hey, yeah. here's a list of 150 payment methods. <laughs> Pick your favorite one. It doesn't work, right? What, so here's what, the top four to six. What, why four to six? Did, have you tested, you know, the, the number for me, it, it sounds overwhelming, you know, uh, at the six mark. Um, is, is this something you've, you've tested yeah, you yourself? Know. It typically is. I think when you look at it, you know, from a traditional card scheme, it's something that we test over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Card schemes are always going to be your Amex, your Visa, your MasterCard, mm-hmm. your, you know, so on and so forth, Discover. But once you get outside of that, you have an alternative channel. And that alternative channel is going to resonate within a few different key payment payment methods for each market that we service, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be Alipay, WeChat Pay, or Union Pay in a market like China, whether it be Klarna, a buy now, pay later option in markets like Germany throughout the Nordic region, making it big push into Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, these are payment methods that resonate and sing, whether it be twins into a market like Switzerland, which is one that is super popular, including ideal into the Netherlands. So the curation of what we serve up is what works. 
works. I mean, to be quite candid, we've tested this iteration over iteration to make sure that we understand what are the most prominent payment methods that customers are adopting and flocking to in that market. And that's what we're going to serve up. And that's what we're going to make sure is available. And then, you know, I think on the back of that, what a lot of brand owners don't think about is the ability to locally acquire transactions, mm. right? Local acquiring internationally is, is a big play and a big lift to be able to set up in the sophistication that we have, um, which means essentially we're acquiring these transactions within a local bank in that market. So what does that mean to an owner or brand? It means that we're going to have more successful transactions, right? It means that we're going to have less you know, call it declines, less failed orders because it's no longer that cross-border payment capture. It's more of a local capture in that market, which envisions and sees these, call it transactions from a local acquiring mm -hmm. perspective. So huge play at successful transactions, which brands obviously benefit from just immediately at, at so, unlocking our platform. So, so lots of, um, you know, localized payment processing um, done with, you know, with payment options shown on the front end. Um, how does that translate from a um, from a you know fund receipt standpoint? Um, because that's a ton of of bank accounts, localized bank accounts. So it's globally sort of um, you know capture that into you know your account and then um, sort of um, dis disperse you know the the, the funds um, you know to 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 the merchants accounts. How, how does it work further um, you know further down um, you know downstream? Yep. So the beauty of it for the brands is that we we manage the overall merchant of record responsibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So that begins with our integration to over 10 different payment service providers, right? So the brand from an international perspective, right? Domestically, they continue to work with whom they work with, right? Because the domestic market typically okay. they continue to run outside of them, yeah. right? So they keep their PSP in place. They keep their fraud engine in place. What we do is everything international, right? So those 10 PSPs, right? Direct integrations too, which means essentially we're taking on the financial risk for all of those transactions on their behalf, right? They don't have to integrate any one of these PSPs that continue to build out the overall payment offering that we have on an inter international landscape. They wake up one morning when we add OXO into Mexico mm -hmm. and they have it available because we rolled it out across mm -hmm. the entire portfolio, which is key, right? Brands to build that strategy out and to have those integration takes a lot of lift, a lot mm -hmm. of effort. It's something that we bring down for them. Um, and then to your point, yes, we capture the overall payment, right? We are obviously taking the payment for those transactions uh, in local currency. And then obviously that's that's guaranteed, right? To mm -hmm. both the consumer and to the merchant. And then we're reconciling back with the merchant in their overall home currency, whether it be USD for a US merchant, Australian dollars for an Australian merchant, mm -hmm. um, pounds for a British merchant, et cetera. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you can see, I think with okay. that overall merchant of record responsibility, we also take on things like fraud. We expose these merchants from international fraud, mm -hmm. which is something that's very key to think through because fraud typically is double the rate of that of a domestic transaction, mm -hmm. which they, they end up seeing and they end up obviously being a, a bit careful with as they internationally expand. So do you offer insurance with, with um, for, you know, um, for fraud cases, for, you know, for issues of incidences of fraud? Um, from an Which is absolutely, I think, from a, from a fraud perspective, we expose them from fraud. Once we take that order, it's a good order, we guarantee it. Right. So they have a fraud guarantee against each and every single one of these international transactions, which means once we run these through our fraud engine, right, and we go ahead and say this is a good order, that is guaranteed for the merchant, right? So the fraud guarantee is a big one, right? Yeah. Meaning we're going to pay them 
if for whatever reason that order comes back after the fact is fraud, that's globally's risk that we take off the plate, including yeah, including things like duty and tax, right? Yeah. I think when you look at duty and tax, it's a big element, right? Yeah. If if we are not precise in our calculation, that risk, whether it be up or whether it be down, as we're assigning HS codes and guaranteeing duty and tax, yeah. it's another risk element that we take on, which brands very much are fearful of. How and what do I do from an exposure perspective if I get it wrong, it, right? That's our risk, not the brands. Yeah, absolutely critical, you know, um, for, for customer experience because the... Are, yeah, there have been instances with with um, with international shipping where you know, especially in the Middle East, if if you ship it to to something like like Dubai or, or Qatar, and um, they they um and and you haven't sorted the 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 clearing issue, they're going to get them to to have to go to the the local post office, pay the duty there, come back, and then they're going to email you and like your customer services team, and they're going to be like, you know, what the heck, you know, why is it stock? You know, I want a refund. Could you please return? It's a headache, really, for for several people. Which brings me to my final question, which is, um, how do you handle more bespoke, um, you know, payment methods such as you know, cash on delivery? Um, it's still very popular in Eastern, some Eastern European, um, you know, geos. Very popular in in the Middle East and um, you know, um, Southeast Asia. Um, is it something you you handle yourselves? Um, I actually came across a a Polish sports company. Um, we're doing some um, we're doing some some like e-commerce judging, and and they they seem to have that cash on delivery option. And I was I was quite impressed with um, with the fact that they that sure. they did offer it. So I just would like to to hear your thoughts from a global e perspective. Yeah, if, I mean, from a, the, the simple answer is we we enable it. Um, so I think when you look at it right now, we we do from an overall, you know, call it payment and carrier offering. Um, we integrate all the specialty providers on a global basis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think right now when you look at our logistics network, we've got roughly about 20 different carriers on a global basis that are specialty to each and every single market. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that we are providing what is local to that customer, what is expected by that customer, and that the service is going to be seamless to be able to enable a successful transaction and, and and a a superior customer experience, Mm -hmm. right? But in short, cash on delivery is one of those payment methods that we do accept, right? We leverage a specialty provider in the GCC markets to be able to enable that. Very common, very, uh, let's just say we've seen a significant uptick in cash on delivery orders in specifically the Middle East and within those GCC markets because we enable it, right? right? We enable it. We need to make sure that we're supporting brands in that. And that's no different than, you know, buy now, pay later, which is super popular in many, many markets today, uh, including Australia and Canada, starting to become very popular in the U.S. here for our European clients. So I think when you look at it right now, whether it's cash on delivery, Mm -hmm. whether it's direct transfer, whether it's, you know, buy now, pay later. I mean, these are the types of nuances that we need to make sure are out of the box that our brands don't have to think about. Uh, when partnering with globally. Yeah, yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. And and just to clarify, cash and delivery doesn't necessarily mean cash and delivery. It just means that the dispatch driver, um, when they're delivering your your goods, would ask you for for a way to pay, and it could be by card or um or cash if if you like um at the point of um delivery, right? 
At the point of delivery, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And even to the point where there is a cash box for individuals who are looking to pay with cash, yeah. right? So the cash on delivery is, is, as, uh, is as marketed and it is being captured and even from you know, a return perspective, having the ability to, hey, would I like to return that product right on the spot before that driver even learns? And I think these are the, the types of nuances where at first, you know, I'll be very honest, I was a bit skeptical when I was like, cash on delivery? Like somebody shows up and collects cash at the door? This is, and it is, and it's something that we need to make sure we're local with what that consumer yeah. experience is and it's, it's a very very big following yeah. within the hugely well. popular yeah. in india yeah. hugely hugely popular. agree yeah okay matthew i could go on and on and on <laughs> you know um really really good convo um i've learned you know a thing or two you know around um you know commerce probably even more than, than a thing or two um and um about global e for people who want to find out more about global e um it is is it global hyphen e dot com um and it is yep so global hyphen e.com you're are you active in linkedin or any social media um, um platform professionally yeah we are I, I think the best method is if any brand is looking to obviously learn more about globally or excited to, to talk to you request a demo on our website it's the easiest way to get a hold of us then we'll be happy to uh, set up an international expert that can come by your side and walk you through the journey of how to obviously capitalize on the growth strategies that you're looking to achieve uh, outside your home market. So, Excellent, excellent, excellent. Thank you again, Matthew, for coming on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.